0: Chapter Fifteen of Human Toll by Barbara Bainton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. In a night stormy, but only with wind and dust, about a month after Palmer's departure, Ursula went for Woona. All gins are skilled midwives, and under her auspices the child was born. It was weirdly shrivelled and small, as the child of a big womb usually is. With Woona's aid, Ursula had washed and dressed it in the clothes that had done service for Mrs. Stein's family, her sole wedding endowment to her daughter. If the helplessness of the motherless lamb had appealed to Ursula, what was the lamb compared to this tiny creature, by reason of its humanity, more helpless? When Ursula handled this atom, its shrivelled hands, as if for protection, would clutch and hold her with a grim tenacity peculiar to infancy. But of infants and their ways, what should Ursula know, though she speedily interpreted every movement of this one? Kissing the tendril fingers, at first because Mina, its mother, did not, but later with a rapture begot by its breath on her breast. The beat of its wee heart, held against her own, sent her intense maternity surging like the spring sap in a young tree. Mina's keen eyes were watchful as ever, and instinctively, Ursula strenuously endeavoured to disguise her love, finding that it endangered the infant. When she woke in the night, thinking of it, she smiled. "'If only it were mine!' she longed, then turned her face in hiding to the wall. "'Now it was sick,' Mina said, and in swift alarm Ursula bent over it as it slept, her ear to its mouth. She turned her face the other way, for the sinister look on Mina's, watching her broke her concentration. She laid a testing finger in the little one's palm, and though it slept, as ever its hand closed round it. It was safer for both she knew that Mina could not see her face. Shaking a negative head, she said it was not sick. But unconvinced, Mina moved away, and that night, for the first time, demanded the care of it. Then it seemed to Ursula that only her body slept, for the slightest sound or movement from the woman and child in the next room woke and drew her in. Then Mina began closing the door between them, so Ursula redoubled her vigilance. "'What was that to-night?' She sat up instantly, and a sound of smothered fluttering sent her in swift alarm to the door. It was barred, and the inside was in darkness. "'Mina! Mina!' she screamed, beating against it. "'Let me in! Let me in!' in the waiting moment she heard the muffled fluttering increase. She rushed out, calling piercingly, "'Woona! Woona!' and round to the bedroom window, and with the strength of two wrenched the shutter from its hide hinges, then, bounding through, stripped the bedclothes, covering the face of the mother and child. Mina's arm was resting heavily across the little one's mouth when Ursula freed it. It was gasping feebly, and as she raised it she heard its breathless struggle and felt its stiffened body and clenched hands. "'What's the matter?' asked Mina, though also panting breathlessly, making a pretense of being rudely awakened. Without replying, Ursula, holding the child, lighted Mina's lamp. A strange fear silenced Ursula, for she knew intuitively, did she but license the speech scorching and shaking her this would license action in the unnatural desperate woman watching her with those terrible inhuman eyes even now uncontrollably her powerful hairy arms and hands were twitching murderously what are you doing in ere she challenged in your sleep mina you nearly smothered the baby watching her as one watches a springing snake ursula with the child backed into the next room and took up a position where she could see but not be seen. So screened she saw Mina's hand steal out and her fingers suddenly snuff out the lamp-wick after the manner of old Daddy Stein. The lightened creak of Mina's bed was further warning, and Ursula's hold on the child tightened as she noiselessly made for the door, but even from there came the outside sound of bare feet, then a whisper. "'Missy! Missy!' It was Woona's voice. Thankfully Ursula let her in. "'Baby very sick, woona she said, loudly, shivering with relief. "'Light the lamp and make big fella fire out there,' pointing to the kitchen. "'We'll bogey it.' "'Bathe it.' When, by lamplight, Woona saw the pallid terror of Ursula's face, alarmed, she asked. "'Only that fella baby. You been bogey, missy?' Only baby Woona Mine think it you sick too, said Woona. Together they went into the kitchen, and from inside it Ursula made a silent sign for Woona to listen. Mina, though equally cautious, was again betrayed by the lightened spring of the creaking bed. Since she was astir, better and safer for them to be where they could watch. Bring the water inside, Woona, said Ursula, and with it they went back. Now the bedroom door was closed, but Woona sent a suspicious survey into all likely and unlikely corners of this room. Then, radiating her relief, went briskly on with her work. Gradually the little one's breathing had become more regular. Ursula, swift to know, felt its strained body relax in composure. God was good, but never for a moment, day or night, would she leave it out of her arms or sight. Now, while she bathed it, Woona held low the lamp, so that its full light fell on the infant's face. Suddenly, woona with a native word, held it even lower, pointing excitedly to bruises on the swollen nose, and from them to the discoloured fingerprints on one cheek. Again she spoke excitedly, and again in her own tongue. Then raising her head, she faced her hut, and sent a coo that echoed and re-echoed, Instantly, the bedroom door opened, and Mina entered. She was whiter than Ursula, who snatching up the infant, stood at bay, facing her, even in her agitation. The flattened space between Mina's brows struck Ursula more vividly than the green malignity of her venomous eyes. Shut up, you black dingo, she hissed at Woona, though her eyes were fastened on Ursula. What are you doing to it? without replying but watching her. Ursula rolled a blanket round the child. Woona was about to cooie again when her keen ears heard the coming of Nungi. Instead, she called to him that the front door where he was knocking was unbarred. "'Is it?' sneered Mina. But the back one was, and Nungi, swifter than she, had entered. Woona gave him a warm welcome, then in native language told him something that sent his eyes uneasily rolling from the infant's face to mina's right hand clenched in impotent frenzy then to her distorted face christ missus you do look snake-headed get your neck stretched playin that game pointing to the child's face he said friendly advice in his tones and as mina only panted breathlessly he took her speechlessness as a tribute to his advice turning from her to ursula he touched the little one's discoloured cheeks "'Darned shame to it, the poor little bee. "'Just as it was just beginning to know you, too, Missy.' "'Hush, Nungie, the baby's sleeping. "'She's better now. "'It was an accident. "'Go back to bed, Mina,' said Ursula. "'Give it to me.' Mina extended her arms authoritatively. Ursula, raising her head, looked unflinchingly into Mina's shifty eyes. "'It was an accident,' she meaningly repeated and emphasised. "'Sit down, Boona and Nungi, and you go back to bed, Mina.' Mina went into the bedroom and closed the door. For hours the three sat round the fire, each in a position to watch the bedroom door, for each knew that although Mina had closed it, she only did so as a shield for her scrutiny, unequally distressful, but as barren for her as for them. When the receiving creak of her bed, and soon after, her reassuring snores, told them it was over. At a sign from Ursula, Woona noiselessly rebuilt the fire. Then shortly after, her head fell affectionately on Nungi's shoulder, and she too slept. His head gradually took a reposeful lean-to against the wall. Then Ursula was the only watcher. Occasionally a convulsive sob would shake the little one, but the arms it already knew would tighten round it. Its groping, fearing fingers met Ursula's, its face nestled in her neck, so soothed and comforted it would quiveringly sigh its reassurance and content. And every sigh that quivered to Ursula's bending ear, every breath breathed on her bare breast, quickened and nourished this resolve, to shield and shelter it with her life. At dawn she aroused Woona and Nungi to duty, for before and since the birth of the child she had tried to look after everything outside and in, Palmer had been gone nearly two months, and though she had time and again written to Cameron, none had replaced him. By Nungi Palmer had sent her father's will, and a note saying where she would find some money hidden. Andrew, he said, was coming soon. Tremblingly she wondered when, and went to re-read Palmer's letter, but though she had hidden it with her father's unread will, both were gone. She followed Woona into the kitchen, where already beneath the ashes smouldered a pile of glowing coals, that was soon, under Woona's skill, a roaring fire. Before it Ursula held the child, while Woona heated some milk. But the little one's lips were so rigidly compressed that Ursula could scarcely coax the spoon between them, and then she saw despairingly that it could not swallow. Motioning Woona to watch for Mina's coming, she went to the back of the kitchen to think out some plan to protect this child. She would go to Mina, and ask her to renounce it to her. With it, she would go away, and none need ever know that it was not hers. When Andrew should return, though her face flamed at the thought, she did not flinch. When Andrew should return, Mina could tell him the child was hers, Ursula's, and this very day she would start for Cameron's. So resolved, she went to seek and tell Mina, and guided by Woona, she went to a familiar crack. A pair of freckled, scaly hands, groping along the beams of the bedroom, utterly unnerved her, and for a moment fear paralysed her. Then she crept closer. She saw those long fingers, that Boshy loathed, feel gropingly for something. Ah! What was it that they had found? As though she, too, was not sure, Mina brushed the dust from it and examined further by look and smell. It was what she sought. For satisfied, she placed it in her bosom and went on dressing. Woona had silently and swiftly backed away, and her ebon face Ursula saw had changed into leaden flabbiness with some horrible fear. There is no colour line in love, and though a-quiver with ungovernable fright, for Ursula's sake, Black Woona went graphically through the final death contortions of the poisoned mangy pup. Then, with the speed of a wild animal, she made for the scrub where Nungi was supposed to be scrub-cutting for the starving sheep. And despite her burden, Ursula, equally terrified, instantly followed. But though she turned the child's face across her shoulder, she found that the wind as she ran caught the little one's breath, and she felt it strain and stiffen. Stopping for a moment, and screened by a tree, she looked back at the house. At that moment she saw Mina mount the butcher's block, with intent to locate the fugitives, then came a lusty coo from woona to Nungi, which, Mina hearing, instantly acted upon. To add to Ursula's terror, she saw that this breathing respite had not tranquillised the child, yet she dared not stand still, with its unnatural mother on her track. Again Wooner coo resoundingly, and this time another look showed Mina running from the house towards the sound. Bending low, Ursula went swiftly as she dared to where Mina might pass wide of her. Then, again hidden, she waited in breathless anxiety that was increased to distracting horror when she saw the sun blaze and reflect on and about the axe's head that Mina had snatched from the wood-heap. Suppressing a horrified shriek, Ursula sped away from her, back to the house. Past this she fled across the river. Passing her father's grave, she ran along the track to Pine Point. Looking back once, she thought that she was safe, for Mina was not to be seen. Encouraged, onward she ran to the miles near, and stopped to examine the child, now struggling more strenuously, though only at intervals. It was ill, surely. Yet what could she do to save it? She flying with it from that terrible woman. Oh, God, there Mina was. She had only been hidden by the river bank. Where were Woona and Nungi? she must get to them with a mind to try and double back so as to find them when she reached Pine point she entered that part of the trackless scrub stumbling through the thick undergrowth with her precious burden she pushed onward fearful of her pursuer she dared not stop even to look at the ailing one or to listen knowing she had only her start against this murderous woman with twice her strength unburdened and with that deadly weapon Once, when the undergrowth gripped her, she drew breath and looked at the now twitching child. At the moment an internal spasm stiffened it, though no moan came from its cruelly indrawn lips. She raised her face, but heaven was hidden by the interlocking trees, so she bent her head to listen, but there seemed no following sound. Maybe Mina had passed while she had waited. Still, what would she do with this stricken child? Dread drove her back, while she thought but not far for paroxysm after paroxysm each swifter and more violent seemed to wrestle for the soul that the locked lips of this wee one refused to surrender fearless now of her enemy ursula sank for the moment intent only on saving the child with her own dried tongue she bent to moisten into relaxation its indrawn blue lips and breathing on the clenched congested hands tried as unavailingly to lessen their terrible tension. Fiercer and fiercer grew the unequal fight, till gradually Ursula saw that all effort failed to still or soothe one quiver. Then the mighty king of terrors wrestled but with one. Where had she read that only the old die easily? Her lamb had. But this lamb, ah, now it was over though its lips were still closed and its hands clenched, it was still. She laid it along her cradling body, then she too was motionless, and as emotionless as their surroundings, for not a leaf stirred. Sun sleep was upon the scrub, so she had held boshy, only then her back rested against the wall, now against a tree. She was thankful for one thing, there was no blood, for all of the nauseating things on earth, None was so appalling as blood to her. Mina had come when Washy died. If only she would come now. Where was she? Rising, she called. Mina! Mina! Then, without waiting for a reply, with the child in her arms, she went on. But not for long. For even in this dense scrub the heat of the sun penetrated scorchingly, and surely her burden had grown heavier. She was only partially dressed, that was well but without looking she covered the little one's head and discoloured face with her skirt strange that she did not want to kiss it she would bury it beside her father she decided not out here the lamb she had lain at his feet but this dear thing in her arms she quivered chokingly then conquering her emotion she looked at the dead child it might even yet recover if only she could reach Woona, and they together get hot water This purpose possessing her, hopefully, she pushed onward swiftly, fighting the dense tangle of undergrowth which caught her at every step. Had she passed through it in her first flight, she now wondered. Oh, how could she know, with so little to guide her? For looking back the vines and leaves, as if to baffle her, had closed over even her last steps. One blessing, the sun here was less powerful, for the branches locked and entwined overhead as did the brush of undergrowth. She let fall her skirt that was sheltering the head of the child. How calm and collected she was, fearing nothing now, free even from her haunting terror of snakes, those silent creeping horrors. Yet how she had dreaded them up to this time. And now, looking at the child, she feared not Mina, no, not even Mina. Still, it was better not to think of her, but try to get out of this scrub, but when, and how? Perhaps if she laid the little one down for a few moments, and climbed, Andrew had taught her, to the top of one of these trees, she might be able to see her way out to the plain. She hesitated. Then she carefully laid the baby down, first making sure that no creeping venomous foe was near. And selecting one tree, she began its ascent, her eyes fixed on the child. Supposing Mina crouched, hiding, waiting to snatch it, Recklessly she jumped down, and with a mingled cry of love and fear caught up the child and again stumbled along. With an effort at composure, she tried to delude herself by the thought that the beloved little one might not be dead. It was very strong. But once she knew definitely it was, she would bury it somewhere. Not here. Then find Mina and kill her. Yes, if the child was dead, she would kill Mina. That was just even the bible said blood for blood shudderingly she thought she could smell blood now for the present she must banish such thoughts for the one great thing to do was to get back again stopping she tried to get the bearings if only she knew what way she had come but she could not decide however she must be wrong or by this she would see the plain. she turned another way and by degrees many others determinedly keeping at bay the distracting consciousness that she was bushed. About noon, exhausted and painfully thirsty, after long scrutiny, she decided the baby must be dead. For a long time she sat and through her dry mouth tried to breathe into its nostrils. Nothing could pass through its locked lips, nor could the tip of her little finger worm its way into the sealed palms. Perhaps it would be as well to bury it for a time only, till she found Wooner or Nungi, But where? Laying it down tenderly, she groped beneath the matted vines, but felt only hot shifting sand. Beside a large pine tree was a bare loose heap. Carrying the body to this spot, she laboriously scraped a hole long and deep enough. Then again with it across her knees, and for a longer time she went through all methods of reanimation known to or invented by her. IT WAS DEAD, SO SHE LAY IT IN ITS cot OF SAND, WITH ITS PAIN-DISTORTED FACE TO THE HIDDEN SKIES, THEN SLOWLY BEGAN COVERING IT, FEET UPWARDS. TEARING A STRIP FROM HER SKIRT, SHE SHROUDED ITS FACE, AND LOOKING AWAY, BLINDLY PUSHED OVER it THE SAND. STILL WITHOUT LOOKING, SHE TURNED AND WALKED BACK A FEW PACES, BUT MARKED THE SPOT, SO THAT SHE WOULD KNOW WHERE TO GUIDE SOMEONE. SHE TORE UP VINES AND BROKE TWIGS, AND COVERED IT LIGHTLY then rested a while, stretching her stiffened arms. How weary she was, and how thirsty! But now, without her burden, she would get on quicker and get back. She must before dark. Making landmarks to guide her return, slowly she went on, not far, only a few paces, for, oh God, how could she leave it alone? Sobbing tearlessly, she rushed back, disinterred the child, then, with it for hours, distressfully stumbled onward. Australian daylight dies with short shrift, and in this mighty scrub the pall of darkness fell with startling abruptness. She knew it would be madness to seek home, so selecting a sparse spot, she shrouded the dead and laid it beside her. She sat with her aching back resting against a tree, realising that were it light, and she for sure on the right track, her weary limbs would have gone no further. If dew fell, and it might in this clearing, it would moisten her dry tongue and mouth, and in this prayer her tongue clicked, dry and sore, against her swollen palate. This still night was not chilly, and even if it were, could not matter to the dead child, yet she covered it with her skirt. She was not hungry, though she had eaten nothing all day, but she was very, very thirsty and weary. Still, dew might fall. And now, till dawn, she must rest. To sleep would be best. But she knew she could not sleep. The little body, so still and quiet, was growing cold. So her aunt and Boshy had been. She also must be, for she was shivering. Well, better cold than heat for thirst. And in the dawn she would again go in search of home. Could she leave this little one, carefully hidden? looking at the shrouded form. But need she think of that till morning? Yet better to think of anything or anyone if it held in check her thirsty misery. Mentally she selected many intimate past incidents, resolutely discarding the obtrusive present. Long ago when she was little she had strayed too far and got lost till nearly dark. But then she had called and called André, and he had found her and carried her home. Andrew, for a long time in that past, she forgot the present, till the bitter reality recalled her with a shock the more cruel from being suspended. Not again would she dwell on him, instead on her cruel thirst. Oh, when would the dew fall? But just this she might debate, since she was on the forbidden subject. Should she, if Andrew were to come now, claim this dead child as her own, hers and Palmer's? for that was what such a vowel meant. No, she decided. There was now no need. Would she rather have the child dead than face Andrew with it as her own? The tender clasp of its fingers round hers, its breath upon her as it lay the night before in her arms, and with infant instinct groped for her breast. No, no, no! The child, the child, even with dishonour. Taking it in her arms she held its stiffening body to her sore heart till a trembling agony seized her then as she placed it again beside her she determined not to touch nor even think of it till the morrow how long would the dawn be in coming yet if she rose to walk about to still her mind she must uncover the child she tried vainly by various devices to divert her thoughts then drawing off her skirt SWATHED THE BODY, WALKING AFTERWARDS ROUND AND ROUND IT, WITH HER DRY MOUTH UPTURNED FOR THE DESIRED dew. HOW SLOW IT WAS IN FALLING! PERHAPS THOSE TREE-TOPS, ALMOST SHUTTING UP the SKY, CAUGHT AND KEPT IT. FOR A MOMENT THE DESIRE TO CLIMB TO THEIR TOPS AND ROB THEM POSSESSED HER. BUT THERE WAS THE CHILD. SOME STALKING WILD BEAST MIGHT SEIZE OR MOLEST IT. SHE MUST NOT. OH, BUT WAS EVER NIGHT SO LONG! though lately there had been many that had tried her sorely yet the night when that dear dead thing had come and she for a time alone and uninstructed had been forced to minister to its unnatural mother even that night had not seemed so long and others since had been spent in anxious vigil ah but all circumstances had been different and the child had been nestling and warm and she herself neither shivering nor thirsty Still, she must keep a firm grip on herself and conquer all emotion, for her task on the long-deferred morrow would be neither easy nor, because of her dead burden, light. She would again rest and try to calmly consider some guiding feature, passed in her flight, that in retracing she might recognise and so be guided. But all that she could visualise was the path to the crossing over the river, it and the track to Pine Point. Still, Now that her fear was gone and she was reasonable, outlets to any of these might be possible in the daylight. But with it, the first thing she would seek would be water. When would dawn come? This awful stillness was stifling her. Oh, for any sound that would break it! Even that solemn night call that none but Andrew and she could interpret would she welcome. Why were birds and beasts so voiceless? surely here must be their haunts and lairs. yet she in walking round was careful mindful to move softly lest she set even the leaves whispering which was worse for such might be a signal to shoals of stealthy foes covertly watching her should she for distraction go through her child life immediately ashton's circus sprang from the past mocking the present intolerably it served her need For it took time to conquer her disquiet day dawn was as stealthily swift as its death when the boom of a brooding emu heralded it ursula went on her knees in voiceless prayer then burdened by the stiffened cold child went towards the sound her rustling approach betrayed her to the watching male bird with a sonorous warning to his hatching mate he fled and later ursula saw the sitting bird rise suddenly from her nest and run swiftly though not to join her cowardly mate but at a discreet distance to watch even as miriam thought ursula she found in the nest thirteen eggs warm to her cold hand she would take one it might moisten her parched mouth and so ease her burning throat but a small one would do replacing the egg she held she selected the smallest yet it was smoother and more delicately tinted than the others. It might one day be a beautiful bird, and faithful like its prospective mother. She would not take that one. From so many one could make little difference, and thirteen was an unlucky number. Her thirst and the terrible task before her surely justified her. Yet she hesitated. The hen-bird still watched, and bravely had ventured to come nearer its nest. Ursula would take an egg right away before she broke it, and perhaps the emu might not miss it. Selecting one she moved away. What a contrast, the deadly cold of the child to the blood-warm of the egg. She believed it was making her feel sick and faint. Ah! Disconsolately over, not on, its nest. Thank God it was not too late. Hurrying back and calling her intention encouragingly to the again fleeing bird, she restored the egg the sun bleached bones of some animal were the next objects that she saw ah why had it wandered from its fellows and how had it perished she wondered thirst she decided and merciful god how dreadfully dry her own mouth and throat were what would she do if she did not soon find water or what would become of her she took a critical survey of her surroundings a cobweb night-spun hung in an insidious circle from branch to branch facing her early as it was its first victim struggled in its gummy meshes fascinated she stood shaken ungovernably by its horrible suggestiveness while above and about her the trees shivered meaningly yes here in the bush nature was frankly brutal and meant her to know that she too was trapped hopelessly as the poor fly in her haste to free it one of its wings broke off this recalled that sunday afternoon long ago when she had wantonly crippled the hornet and flies how could she upbraid nature sorrowing acutely for her earlier sin she moved onward till the necessity for some plan for her movements stopped her across her tangled track a tree uprooted as though top heavy rested slantwise against its fellows Carrying the child she crawled along it, aided by the branches and vines, hoping from its highest point to see the plain. She could not, for there was a slight rise, and trees higher shut out all but the sky. Nor was there any dew nor moisture, even on their tenderest tips. Still, from this height she might take her bearings from the sky, for the brighter glow would mean the east. Their house on the plain's edge faced that way but how distractedly her head buzzed in the effort to determine its locality. Perhaps this dizzy height was making her giddy. She descended to think better below. But even here, visualising as strenuously as she could, and after a long struggle, no way seemed certain. For as she invoked tracks from her hot head, the tragical incidents of her flight dispelled them. Then, abruptly as the dark and light changes, came the heat. The sun, though hidden, sent piercing tongue-shafts, till even the tough trailing vegetation drooped, showing the hot sand beneath. The blood seethed scorchingly in the girl's veins. Hot wave wings quivered before her strained eyes and buzzed about her ears and temples. The child alone was unaffected. As she stumbled wearily along, penalised by its dead, cold, unresponsive weight, she knew that, and was definitely thankful were it alive it too must suffer and was ever agony greater than this surely her head would burst was it swollen feeling it not much thank god she decided but she must rest and again try to think of a way to water then out to the plain now those emus why had she left them for they must be within a reasonable distance of water besides if all else failed and this awful torturing thirst continued She would be forced to take one egg. But could she find the way back to the nest? It was just before she reached this rise. She would try, and vaguely she wandered about, but not for long. Mind and body began to claim and force rest. Would she try to find the emu's eggs first? No, go on, try to get out to the plain. But was not that the cobweb which she had wrecked? Had she without knowing turned back? Or was it another web calmly and again, undismayed, the spider was industriously respinning and in repair. It was the same, yet she thought that she had gone forward. She must mind for never had she been good at locality. Jim used to say that she would get lost in the house paddock. Jim, Fanny, her aunt, Mr. Sibyl, and mentally twist and turn as she would, yes, Andrew. There they all were. But because of her strenuous repression, Andrew was multiplied. Kerr, Kerr, Her hot head buzzed, and her dry mouth opened chokingly, and she called him till she was dumb, till she could neither hear nor see. Yet above all a sense of her own lawlessness was uppermost. Oh, God, how hopeless and bewildering everything was. From then, every moment seemed to weaken her and add to the weight she bore in her stiff arms. And her thirst, her thirst! No way seemed clear, nor which way to turn, but if she began to think of herself she would not keep calm. Now she seemed to be ascending, and uphill was ever weary work. Rest a little, she must. Was it late in the day? she wondered. She hoped, then feared it was. Another night spent like the last would, she knew, unhinge her mentally. No. Such thoughts were foolish and distressing. Just now she had exaggerated the distance she had walked, till the spider and web had convinced her, and it was so with the time. It could not be late, though it was burning hot, and a long, long time since she had even tasted water, and she oh mercy mercy where could she would she find water where where what was the use of groping in the sand at her feet for water she had put down the dead baby and had been talking to herself that was a bad sign was she going mad no it was her head her hot head was that swelling and buzzing from weariness weakness and thirst when before had she laid down the child she could not remember doing so but now it rested her. In future, when she rested, it would lay down beside her. But supposing she forgot. Her head was not always quite clear. Oh, snatching it up and stumbling along. She would not, could not, should not. She knew this last fear was a fancy, and she closed her eyes to shut it out. But now of a surety there was blood. Oh, thank God. No, only a streak of sunset but this red flash had sent such a droughty blast into her open mouth. Oh, she must go on. Go on and find water. She would turn this way. It was less entangling, but after a few wearying minutes she began to think it worse, till she stumbled on, for at least she was going in a fresh direction. But was that not again the same as Spider and web? Of a certainty, yes. Should she kill this magnetic spider, and so end its baleful influence? Incentively, the trees hissed, Yes, yes. Motioning for them to be silent, she steadily watched the insidious spinner, now as if divining her purpose, merely an indrawn, inert, black speck, but acutely watching her. Its attitude instantly recalled that long past Sunday. What right had she to expect mercy? and she still with the same cruel instincts. Turning away, she went onward, mindful only that she did not again go near the spider. "'What sound was that?' "'Andrew!' burst impulsively from her. She listened, but there was no reply. "'Yes, yes.' She distinctly heard a voice say, "'Israelites.' Then her heart gave a suffocating bound, for god have mercy she had mistaken her own voice as aloud she had been praying that she might be god guided out of this wilderness as were the israelites the shock nerved her and she ran aimlessly till she fell and for a time lay but making a barrier of her arms that the child should not be crushed somewhat strengthened she rose and moved on but without a plan if only andrew but determinedly she beat back that predominant wish for it was worse than her insistent thirst worse for it was wickeder to get away from it she walked again anywhere anywhere now perhaps she would get out again to the plain was there any sign of it yet she could see if there was for her head was clearer now too she had made good progress and the dreaded spider trap was behind her that was well Thankfully she moved on. Oh, the cruelty of it. She was back. There it was. (laughs) There it was. Sobbing, she sank down to hide it from her despairing eyes. Was she losing her senses completely? Was it not her fancy? Let her try to think calmly and clearly as a test. The dead child that she carried, and whose face she had not seen for hours. Yes, that was right. The baby was Mina's. And Mina wait a moment was andrew's wife but no she would not think of that oh god forgive her not andrew yes she was perfectly sane but till she got out of this she had better not think of anyone. no for her head was again bursting how like the sound of that hornet beating against the skylight no the sound of the emu it was only hers was a double beat that sprang from both temples and increased her tiredness and unendurable thirst oh for just one small mouthful now if she had a cupful first she would drink a little then wet her temples what a waste of time to sit there thinking of these things was it late she closed her eyes to rest them that they should when open the better determine if there was a change but a scorching red flame flared through her closed lids and screaming she rose and without the child ran stumblingly. Coward! Coward that she was! She went back to it, and waited till her heart stilled. Ah! Now, indeed, she was becoming disorganised, for certainly for hours, indeed all day, she had been wandering about without a plan. At length, repassing the empty grave that she still had hollowed for her chilly burden, the cobweb, the leaning tree and other objects convinced her that she was walking in a circle she might as well sit still it was getting late but thank god cooler but if night were coming a fire would be better than the thick darkness and awful quiet of the one past yet no not a fire it would only increase her thirst besides if she dozed it might creep up and set her alight Again she ran, till barred by fatigue. Was ever agony so great as this thirst? Why, even Christ on the cross could not endure thirst and loneliness, though he suffered all other agonies uncomplainingly. But when he said, I thirst, I thirst, a sponge dipped in vinegar was held to his lips. Vividly the scene stood out. Why did she hold up her lips? Who was there to wet hers? One thing was certain. If instead of going on she stood there thinking about herself, she would perish, die of thirst. Die, that was the word. She had kept it at bay before, but now it was useless to try. Dangerous also, for fear of death must spur her on. But she went a few paces only, then again saw the leaning tree. What a most peculiar thing that was, the leaning tree which earlier she had passed. Oh, surely long ago days and weeks ago and why did she pass it why she wondered and her enfeebled mind rested on this futile query oh screaming she knew why she was lost in the bush and as long ago she called andre andre now now she was growing like a child a child worse for when a child she had conquered herself and had governed her desire to scream after that Sunday, standing out even now as a force that shaped her destiny. She thought coherently about it for a few minutes. Would she now like to be Henry McGrath? Dead? Drowned? No thirst? No pain? No Andre? No! No, thank God! No, she was alive, and but for her aching head and burning thirst. Oh, why did she think of that? She walked rapidly. The sand here was surely deeper and hotter. Yes, for some storm long past, alas, had felled almost a pathway in this wilderness, and there were blazed trees bordering it. Who had barked them? And why? Where would it lead, she wondered. It seemed like a track, and she went along it hopefully till a new danger threatened. A snake, coiled reposefully. She was very close before she saw it. its colour scheme was a tribute to its environment. Noiselessly it raised its head, and steadily its green eyes watched this invader. And when convinced that she was a menace, a forked tongue protruded from its head, swinging to and fro pendulously. Keeping her eyes upon it, fearfully she backed away for some distance, and as it did not pursue, she turned and ran a few paces. But was she between it and its nest? If so, it would catch her, no matter how swiftly she ran. Besides, she must go back and do battle with it. One thing, she had not screamed, and had felt little fear. That was well, to conquer the emotion of fear. Now she would go back and fight it, for never could she feel safe with such a fatal foe at large. She went back, or she thought so, but there was no snake. She was too late. All her life she had done this thing to everyone, to herself, even to Andrew. Surely there could be no harm in thinking of him when it was in self-condemnation. How long had he been away? Could she remember? Thirteen months exactly, and this dead child was a month old. The fright had done her good, and now, while her head was clear, she must make her way out. While she was counting, let her reckon how long it was since she last drank oh it was such a ridiculously long time that she laughed that was best to to laugh she would do that whenever she thought of it laugh but the bible the bitter mirthless bible said tears were better than laughter she could not cry even though this little one she loved lay dead in her arms she walked backwards and forwards as though to soothe her lifeless burden till tripped by the vines she fell She lay still, till suddenly she recalled the snake. Stifling a scream, she rose and rushed along, heedlessly till exhausted. Mercy, mercy, water, water, she called, then waited, but there was neither. Now again she would make her greatest effort to be calm, and think and plan. What she wanted to find was visualising giddily. Where was the dead plain split by the empty river? Ah! All the plain was trackless now, lying dead with its many sun-sucked open lips, dry as her own, turned to the relentless sky. Yet she had seen on it the green grass, undulating like a sea. How clear her mind was! The sea! Looking steadily before her. Oh, oh, for her heartbeats nearly smothered her. Nonsense! She could not see the sea, nor plain, and beside, the sea, was salt and the plain bare. No movement now on it, but balls of roly-poly held along by dusty whirlwinds, even the noisy galahs that nested in the trees along the river bank were gone. But, trembling violently, not the snakes. Often, how often she had crept out in the night and quivering with the brooding silence looked across the great stretch of land, and from it turned to the sleeping house. And that night of nights when he left, ah, that was her shame and this her just punishment. She struck her dry mouth, hungry even now, and sobbed fiercely. Thank God! If she had wept then, it had been when the lights were out. God! Was that a snake? No, only a trailing coil of sarsaparilla. But very snake-like. And why should she torture herself? Those lustrous things, regarding them earnestly, were glittering leaves and not raindrops. There was no water, nor snakes, only vines. But there was no need to stand still, tempting them. She ran till her nervously throbbing heart nearly suffocated her. Now, now she was becoming disorganised. Running made her open her mouth, her hot mouth, dry as the plains. And the weight of this dead baby. But... She ground her teeth and clenched her hands. She would carry it to the end. No fancies now, she remembered everything. She was lost, or bushed, no, had just missed her way, and would find it, by and by. There were no snakes, but that one back there, which, looking back, she did not fear. First, she must find water, even before the plain or river. Still, even that had water holes, filthy, evil-smelling, and studded with dead sheep yet the water, the green, slimy water holes, swam before her temptingly. Resolutely she closed her eyes. It was only burning sand, not water. Nevertheless her hands met it. She steadied herself by a sapling. She was not mad, only light-headed, and unable to think safely. The glare this way was dazzling her. She faced another way, and laid the child down, then with her uncertain hands she pressed hot circlets around her hotter head she believed it was swelling and very soon it would burst. Now where was the plain to the east where the sun rose? Well there was the sun but though it was past noon she did not remember and taking up her burden she went westward. Again and by degrees oftener she fought and conquered her frenzies she was not on fire but her skirt nearly caught that blazing streak along that creeper. A little while back, she would have thought it a snake on fire. Was it? Was it? She gathered her skirt tightly round her. No use of that. There was another burning snake, and yet another. Breathlessly, she flung her skirt off, and demoralised by the blood-red, she stripped off, all but one, to swathe and uphold the child. She stood and looked in terror at those coiling creepers after all they might be sleeping snakes one thing snakes were supposed to be deaf giddily and laboriously she tried to step free and not disturb them what if her noisy boots should wake them she drew them off ah that was wise for they had not moved nor wakened but the burning heat of that blistering sand on her feet oh she must get back to water she shrieked and a wild disorder mastered her She ran, calling, Water! Water! Then, for a merciful interval, all faculties became suspended, and she fell and lay with her head on the child. Had she found water? Surely something cool, feeling the cold body, then groping beyond. She hoped that when she touched the water it would not seethe and boil. She crept forward. Yes, she must crawl along the plank carefully and not rush into it and get bogged, like those eyeless sheep. Oh, those awful crows, the crows! They were there, and had been for some time, circling round her. She shut her eyes and threw out her burdened arms, beating back those black brutes. Getting up she ran till she fell, then lying face downwards, with one arm and hand she held the baby's closed eyes, protectingly to her bosom, with the other hand preserving her own precious eyes water water everywhere and not a mouthful to drink because she dared not open her eyes so near were those crows cawing hoarsely i'll have her eyes out i'll have her eyes out she would creep with their eyes so close to the ground so close that they ah again the snake its head and tongue hidden but betrayed by flaming flashes of crimson along its sinewy length down with the dead baby till her burning hands uprooted and tore it apart then regarding her victim there was no blood either of course not snakes were bloodless how strong she was to be able to tear it to pieces and she gloated for a while and alone went onward but remembering the child she went back guided to it by her fire victim she strangled many tough-throated enemies afterwards but her greatest she could not banish, the crows. Yet even they, though circling and cawing insistently, were, because of her increasing weakness, sometimes ignored. Oh, if only it would rain and fall into her parched, upraised mouth! God of heaven! No, God of earth! Send rain, and let it fall on her hot head and thirsty mouth! She waited expectantly, but only the, I'll have her eyes out, of the crows answered her. Ah! Bitterly! When would God hear or answer her? When had he ever? To him she would pray no more. What was that up there descending from that tree? Watching a goanna. The devil? Yes, surely. She could not pray to him, but might tell him of her fearful need. She began but at the sound of her voice the reptile deftly reversed its head and tail and crawled nigher heaven she waited till he had stopped and with his head turned over his shoulder looked down on her now if he would listen she would confess since now she did not love andrew no all that was past Ah, how foolish she was what did sin matter to the devil for as though in disbelief and derision his scaly majesty had thrust out its tongue at her and climbed higher his unbelief and thrust-out tongue gave tone to her savagery no matter how high he climbed she would make him hear but it was only for water 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 that she called till her dry throat throttled her words and she fell and so lay in giddy stupefaction then suddenly became possessed of a peculiar knowledge. Ah, now she was in hell, and could see the flames of hell shooting round her. However, she felt she must put them out, but throughout her reign of dust and brambles, she shouted defiance at the devil again, watching her till speech died, and she again fell, and lay so long that the crows ceased cawing, but circled lower then Instantly, and marvellously, the burning sand changed to water. Water! Water! She had been calling and praying for water, and she in a bath. Not cold, certainly, but water. Gloating silently, she laved handfuls of hot sand over her, her mind alternating sanely and insanely. Not so much, or she would drown no smother. Now, now what about that dead creature? Where was it? Into this bath with it where was it feeling about then she again forgot it ah this was tasteless unsatisfying water and blinded her aching eyes without cooling her hot mouth still she must drink it no she must struggle up staggering to her feet for she would neither like to drown nor smother oh the horrible droughty dust the wretched sheep must be rushing the water back back you thirsty eyeless brutes raising such stifling clouds of dust back back or by the lord i will grab one of you by the throat and-and no no never she would not drink blood poor frightened wretches come on come on she must make way for them but she must make haste and get away what was she groping for what had she lost, Ah, the child, the dead child, God be praised there it was, and unhurt by the crows, perched quite close to it, she had baffled them, but she could not go far while the earth rocked, so nor could she see. Great God, what was wrong with her eyes, feeling them had the crows ha ha they called mockingly as they ascended, but only a few feet no only the dust from those sheep had filled her eyes and mouth dry dry wiping it out drier and hotter than the brick oven where long ago she had hidden from god and now god was hiding from her huskily and hoarsely she called him then waited watching the sky but there was neither sign nor sound till the crow's cord corpus christi corpus christi body of christ she invoked yes there on that tree begotten of what bush mother hung the crucified christ eyeless with a tangle of wild hair and beard his white arms extended crosswise and his bare body glistening bloodlessly save for the red blood that had trickled and clotted from his wounded side note christ on the cross is frequently to be found on trees in the australian bush a tangle of shredded bark for hair and beard surrounding an eyeless face. The white-armed boughs stretch cross-like, and even the wounded side is represented by the crimson congealed gum. End note. She laid the child between them and knelt. Appeal in her upraised hands, in the strained eyes, sympathetic, reverent awe. But her droughty mouth was dumb. As from emotion, the drooping spearheads of the sentinel leaves quivered, she also. But Christ kept silent and still. She lowered her eyes. Along his glittering bare skin, a bulldog ant crawled intently toward the speared side. Her heart bounded indignantly. How dare it! With trembling tenderness for him, she drew it off. It stung her, no matter. But had it stung Christ? and she laid her burnt, swollen lips where its hold had been, on him, then again raised her eyes to his. But he could not see with those sightless eyes. Ah, the awful crows, they were there, hovering over her head, had not lost sight of her since she first fell. Ever and ever should she stay by him and keep them off. And the flies, oh, horrible, horrible, watching intently those eyeless sockets, Had she, like poor Mary, come too late? Hastily she broke off a bow to beat back those buzzing horrors. In the greatness of her work she forgot her droughty pain. Always and always she would stay beside him. None should touch him. No soldier dare gain thrust a spear in his side. Stay, his side. What flowed? Blood and water flowed. Water! Her mouth gaped. Blood and water! water violently her heart beat stealthily she took a step nearer the wounded side mouthing something back a step then again forward maddeningly fierce was the struggle no no dear christ fear not for she would not drink his precious blood sobbing she fell at his feet she was thirsty dear christ how thirsty and tears were salt feeling her dry eyelids and involuntarily placing her fingers on her tongue how swollen it was more swollen and painful than her stung hand ah that bond between them and she rejoiced that she had dared that for him now forgiveness never such a face as hers imploringly upturned to him from above his head a strip of bark descended a sword submissively she bowed her guilty head but it fell clear. Still she waited, her lips voicelessly twitching. How merciful he was, and mercy ever forgot her penitence. But, but though he knew her need, he moved no hand to hold a sponge, dipped even in vinegar to her burnt lips. Ah, how could she forget? He also thirsted for water. I thirst, and they gave him a sponge dipped in vinegar, but he could not drink that. "'Dear crucified Saviour, she would bring water. "'But first, where was the sponge?' "'Groping for it. "'Because how else could she carry it? "'And if her own lips were only cooler, "'she would find water quicker. "'Fumblingly she groped and groped "'till the burning blood gushed from her nose and mouth. "'Then, mercifully, her tired senses swooned, "'and she fell with her head resting on the tree. "'Her mind was clearer when she recovered.' but she woke to the same holy purpose in this tender shepherd's care she would leave this lifeless lamb till she found water then in her palms hollowing them she would carry it to him exalted with this divine mission she went down hill her soothed senses unnaturally acute keenest of all sight the blazed trees along the track instinctively selected held no meaning for her no thought now for whether she were going right swiftly down mount calvary hill slope she went nor had she wonder when in the hollow beneath she saw the lagoon only she turned round to cry to him that she had found it and would return speedily stay let her first be sure lest she deceive him for what could be worse than her past fancies no this was no fancy water 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 Knee-deep she went into it, clutching it greedily, then clenching her hands determinedly, for her swollen tongue kept apart her teeth. Not one drop would she drink till he first drank, then bade her. Down, down, dropped her burning head, and desiring droughty mouth to it, yet resolutely she fought. Out went her hollowed palms. Full, nay, they were overflowing. Then surely she might stoop and drink the drips. "'Oh, shame on her that she would cheat Christ. Listen. Yes, he was calling her name. "'My Christ, I come, I come,' she called back. "'No heed how to find him, and speedily as her palms, cradling the precious water, permitted, she went on. Oh, sad that she dared not run, but she—' "'Why had those crows so suddenly uprisen? What prey had they found to mutilate here?' What great swollen creature was that lying there, blocking her way? Was it one of the Marys? No, none of the Marys had red hair. See, here on the ground lay a tuft of it, and the woman's clenched hands were full of it. She was fearful, but she must go closer. She looked intently at the distorted face. The eyes were gone, but the familiar pointed teeth were showing in the widely gaping mouth. For a second she resolutely battled to beat back her sense of recognition then she wrestled with her sense of duty this water she had so carefully carried was for the thirsty waiting christ not for this woman her enemy whom she had hated how cruelly bitter was this battle bitter from uncertainty for inasmuch as you did it unto the least of these mina poor mina who had not been guided to the water as she had Pityingly into that open mouth trickled every drop she held. Alas, even now she had not done right. She had only wasted the water, for Mina was dead, and the deceived Christ was again calling her name. Who were these carrying the dead child coming from him towards her? Two soldiers? No, one was a centurion. She thought the tall one was like—like— Why, even the soldier, the dark one with the dead child, was like—so like—but if the women of Jerusalem were dark, so must the men be, but this other, bearded, was fair, and merely burnt with the sun. Surely he was only—no, no, no, she—she closed her eyes. Oh, of all the bitter cruelties that her fancy had played on her, surely this was the cruelest. But she would not be deceived. They were merely the soldiers come for the body of this woman. She must not betray Mina, or they would cast her dead body to the dogs, like Jezebel's. "'Soldier,' speaking to the dark man, then slowly turning to the other. "'And Centurion—I will come to Christ next. This poor woman—this—' Watching intently, the tears raining from the Centurion's eyes, I— I moving back from his outstretched arms I Ersie A great sob broke from her then Andre End of Chapter fifteen Recording by Kirsty End of Human Toll by Barbara Bainton